Welcome to the Crowfall Podcast, where we share stories and perspectives from the world of Crowfall with your host, Chris and Walker. This is Walker, and today we recap our first complete faction versus faction campaign, discuss some recent and proposed changes, and explore how truly unique Crowfall is in the space of MMOs. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Minds at CrowfallPod. As always, I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Chris. Chris, how are you doing this week, man? I am doing lovely. How are you doing? I am also lovely. That's a good word. <laughs> so we recently completed the first faction versus faction campaign. We uh, did. You talk us through how that ended and what sweet loots did we get and when are we ready to pwn more? <laughs> well, it definitely went better than expected. At least I thought. Uh, our Alliance Earth faction performed pretty well. First place won the campaign. There was there was some, you know, iffy if we were going to get the first place uh, with a few days left because there was an update. Uh, Crowfall had an update. And it resulted in our level three bell tower disappearing. Mm. So that was that was a little disappointing. It seemed like that the points were still ticking the same as if it was a level three bell tower. Mm. But unfortunately, the uh, masses, the player base, did not know this, and they, of course, went ahead and upgraded it to level one. Uh, which then reset the point tick to a ah, level one. I but, see. And, and that happened like twice, I think. But we had a, a good presence and were able to pull through. Yeah. Did you have any more exciting keep take stories like you did last week? Honestly, I, I don't because I had uh, limitations with my computer. Um, mm. with the large, you know, uh, scale conflicts, um, the computer was not performing very well and I've since ordered, uh, an upgrade. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to PVPing on the, on the new machine, but there was, uh, several drops loading issues where I would just be kind of running around and being tossed to a loading screen, like right in the middle of us going somewhere, uh, which gotcha. is a little disappointing because um, it would just happen randomly. And right. there was a few times where there was some really nice fights going on and I got kicked to a loading screen. So I wasn't able to participate. Mm, and then by the time I got back in, yeah, everything was done. I'm like, Oh, right. Yeah, well, new computer will be exciting. That's yeah. always a, a fun time to get the new PC. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. Yeah. I actually didn't didn't really get to participate in much of the PvP stuff either. While I was back in town last week, I was still pretty busy for the most part. It's It's been interesting, which maybe this really segues into a, a later conversation we were going to have today, but it, it's interesting to figure out how to place Crowfall in 
my life otherwise. And, and what I mean by that is just, you know, I record three podcasts. Obviously, I, I work a job. I don't have kids or anything. So other people I know have even certainly more responsibilities than I do. I don't mean to imply that I'm the busiest person or something. Yeah. But I also, I play other games with other people and, and this sort of stuff. And so with an MMO, it's always been my MO to no life it, right? To just, that's what I, that's all I'm doing. Right. And I haven't really been able to have the opportunity to do that in the same way that I normally have. So just kind of trying to find places to, to fit it in. But I was able to, to farm some resources and donate some resources to the guild. So hopefully, if if not for this campaign, maybe for future campaigns, it'll help out a, a tiny amount. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, like I said, just to see kind of how it all, 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 all is fitting together now that I'm <laughs> not... 20 years old, I guess, trying to <laughs> play it in a row. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, when we were uh, playing Camelot, and uh, that's all we did. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there was a point in time during that era where I didn't even have a job. And so right. I literally <laughs> played all the time. And it hasn't really panned out that way here. <laughs> There's uh, definitely some some players that I've met. Um that are, are no job and, and no life in the game. I'm like, how are you progressing so fast? And like, well, I'm just online all the time. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, what's interesting is that I've kind of started to do some gold runs just kind of randomly, like for an hour. Mm. Um, like uh, this morning. I woke up and that was the first thing I did actually was hmm. just logged in and did a gold run for an hour and kind of put that in and then, you know. Yeah. Well, so we're, we're knocking on the door of the conversation about kind of the uniqueness of, of Crowfall. So before we go to, to all of that, I guess, is there anything else you wanted to touch on relating to faction versus faction? Cause I don't mean to just kill that conversation if there's more to share there. Um, there was, I don't know how, how true this is. There was some talk of certain guilds from the dregs, uh, showing up in the faction versus faction toward the end, Mm -hmm. um, to take advantage of, you know, uh, the rewards. Mm -hmm. And there was also some potential guild switching to the earth side, which was the winning faction toward mm. the end. So I, I don't know exactly how that influences the rewards. Um, it seems like that a complete character lock in a campaign might be a possibility. But, I mean, if you want to have betrayal as a choice, then faction switching and, and guild switching kind of has to be in there, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess... I mean, certainly in the drag, you know, dregs with guild versus guild, I think betrayal makes a ton of sense there because then you're actually betraying a guild. In faction versus faction, I mean, yes, you're on a team. Yes, it's a faction, but it's kind of just arbitrary, right? So I guess I just don't know how much value I think there is in being able to switch factions, especially yeah. when the campaign is only in this case, what was it? Two or three weeks long or so. I think it's just two weeks long. 
Yeah. So I don't know. There's not that much. There's not. You're not locked in for that long. So if ultimately you really do want to play for another faction, you can <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And and again, I, I how much allegiance is there really to the Earth faction from anyone? Right. Well, because there's 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 not really anything. There's not a centralized leadership within the faction that that promotes a loyalty to it, if you will. Mm-hmm. And unlike a game like Camelot, where you know there's three different factions in Camelot, but you level up for <laughs> probably well over a hundred or two hundred hours in that faction's home PVE continent, right? And there's all this lore building around it and the races are all unique and there's just a lot more that would tie a player's identity to a faction in a game like Dark Age. Even in a game like World of Warcraft where you've got Horde and Alliance, again, at least it's different races and different cities and there's just more that kind of ties a player to that identity. Whereas with this, I just don't really know that I feel like the factions are really that deep if you will yeah yeah i mean uh it it kind of uh has to be in there i mean i'm not necessarily bothered by it because i mean if you're with a faction and they win you're getting rewards regardless of who switches to your faction later on Mm -hmm. um i don't know if switching to a faction late campaign would allow you to get the rewards easier or if there's a certain amount of time you have to play for a faction before you get those rewards because i mean arguably it's it's like well why doesn't everyone just switch to the winning faction on at the very end at the last hour i mean right and that's kind of what i mean by why i think a lock-in maybe does make sense for the faction versus faction i mean certainly not in the dregs you wouldn't want any sort of lock-in yeah because it's guilds, but in the shadow, I mean, again, in a game like dark age, you you couldn't, there was no betrayal, right? There's no easily switching from Hibernia to Albion. You'd have to Mm, delete your characters and reroll on an, you know, start from (laughs) zero. So, I mean, it'd be, it's almost impossible there to, to do it certainly with any speed. So that's what I mean is like, I don't know. I I don't know how another game that, that reminds me of, which you played some of, but I don't think either of us played it in quite a while. But it, it's not a fantasy MMO, but it's called Foxhole. You remember Foxhole? Yeah. So Foxhole is, for anyone that's not familiar, it's an, it's an MMO, but there is no RPG to it. You don't have stats. You don't level up. You don't have gear. Like there's Again, there's no RPG to it in that sense, at least, as far as a character progression sense. But anyway, it's like... Uh, alternate history, I guess you could say maybe of like a World War One or World War Two era <laughs> equipment. Just a second here. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's a war simulator. And in that there's two factions. And whenever you start in a, a war as they call it, which is similar to a campaign you pick one of your two factions and you're locked into that. If you play it for, I think more than 10 minutes. Oh, so, okay. some douchebag on a motorcycle. 
going as loud as he possibly can. I wish I could jam a pipe in his wheel and <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> Just gonna start that point over. Okay. So it's like a war simulator where you're joining one of the two sides and then and then fighting out a on a big campaign map. But similar to Growfall, each war, if you will, has an, a way that it can be won. And so once the war is won, the, the map starts over, and, and then players can choose again which faction, which of the two factions they want to align with. But you can't change factions once you've picked if you've played for more than like 10 minutes in that war. Um, and I think that that makes a ton of sense because it's the same kind of thing. It, it prevents people from just switching to the winning side to collect rewards or a victory or whatever, you know, they, they want to get. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I think that's important. I do get the idea of, of letting players kind of play how they want and where they want. But I, to my uh, non-creative self, I guess, I can't think of an easier solution than locking in, locking in faction choice for that campaign. Right, right. And in, in the dregs, when it's um, guilds, I mean arguably a guild could open up their recruitment and invite everyone and s- spread out the rewards, but it would be a lot more difficult. And I mean, the rewards go to one person, so they'd have to distribute them. Yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no incentive for a guild to want to reduce their take to then hook up a bunch of freeloaders. <laughs> yeah. Know. Yeah. 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 So there's not I mean, really it, that incentive. Yeah. If, if they were just wanting to be nice, but it, it would take a lot more work. So, you know, I doubt they would go ahead and do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I'm not sure why they would be really moved to do it. Something else I guess I did want to touch on. I mean, obviously in faction versus faction, you're in a, you know, as we've been discussing a quote unquote alliance that is the faction. So you're technically allied with anyone else that's in that faction. But once you get to the dregs and there is no faction, there are still alliances between guilds so that it's not literally every guild for themselves. If a guild happens to be allied, we actually have some alliances um, with our guild. And and I just, I, I know we don't talk about our guild a ton, but I guess I just wanted to touch on that. I, I noticed in our guild chat that people were talking about how they were really excited by our, the guilds that we had allied with and how they kind of, matched our um, mentality about playing, you know what I mean? Smaller guilds, still trying to accomplish things, not yeah. not part of the larger machine. And I was just curious, maybe you could expand upon how you found these other guilds to ally with and, and what that experience was like. Well, um, I was on the forums. Um, that's, that's where it started. Um, because with the way guild recruitment works and all of the uh, guild commands, they're on the website. So I was on there messing around, looking through the forums. And it's actually set up uh, pretty well as far as messaging people. Mm. And so I kind of tapped into my tribal wars uh letter typing 
and sent out some messages. I I searched through the guilds, um, started looking for guilds that were the same faction and then smaller memberships, and then just started talking to the leaders to see where they were at um, and what they had in mind, you know, what they were trying to accomplish. And uh, ended up exchanging, you know, Discord information, um, just gradually, you know, talked through the first couple weeks and got to know each other. And then we started making plans for PvP. Um, it was it wasn't too difficult, really. I mean, just uh, reaching out to, to folks. Yeah. Well, the reason I wanted to mention is just that, and this kind of goes to, again, just how Crowfall itself is, but I think there's definitely an easy tendency to feel like you're either a solo player who's scraping by in God's reach and maybe you go to the shadow some and, you know, maybe you join a small guild, but you don't really, you know, can't really do much or you're in a giant cog, you know, guild. Yeah. And again, I almost feel unfair saying that because I'm not in one of the big guilds. I don't mean to disparage how they operate. And, and honestly, the players in those guilds are at this point in time, largely the lifeblood of <laughs> Crowfall, right? So mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to put a negative spin on it, I guess, but just simply there is a middle ground that can be found. And not that it's only with us, but there there are small to medium-sized guilds that are finding ways to connect and collaborate and kind of have the experience of having your own little thing, but getting to do more than you would as a you know a solo or a, a small group of people. Yeah, it's it's a little bit harder as a single player, I would think, if you were new and didn't know exactly what experience you're looking for. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm, I'm definitely not experienced, so I can't be in this hardcore guild. Well, then I just joined some other guild. But depending on, you know, who's running the other guild, then they might not be communicating with other, other small guilds. And so now you're just stuck in God's reach or not being able to PvP effectively. Um, so there's definitely some, some things to navigate there. It's, uh, I think we were lucky because with the people that I reached out to, I kind of just lucked into them being so well organized. Mm -hmm. Um, they had already kind of found a few other small guilds so i was you know maybe the fifth or sixth guild to join their group Mm. so it was like the alliance was already taking shape i see see. um but to build something like that from the ground up is even more difficult you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well so like i said you know we talked about before recording today that we we both kind of had just some thoughts about the the uniqueness of crowfall if you will or at least that's the way i've phrased it so i'll just i'll just kind of start with with what i'm what i was thinking about and i don't know why it dawned on me over the last week when i was playing a little bit but it's just that 
so first of all, obviously every MMO is its own unique thing. There, you know, as much as people will say X game is a clone of something else, they all have their nuances and their differences and their little things that separate them from the other MMOs. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you look at a game like World of Warcraft or a game like Final Fantasy fourteen, they're different games in a lot of ways, but they're also pretty similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You have similar group sizes. You have the classic tank healer DPS roles. You have dungeons and raids that you go run. You primarily play the game by doing quests and and, and dungeons and raiding. They certainly both have crafting and professions, and, and I would argue that maybe the profession system in Final Fantasy XIV is a little bit deeper. So again, they're different, but but they're they're in a lot of ways very similar, and and they are are really in a lot of ways extensions of what the original old school MMOs like EverQuest or Dark Age were. Yeah. Um, now you take an old school game like Star Wars Galaxies, that was totally different than what Dark Age or EverQuest offered. Mm-hmm. And I think that Crowfall, it's not like Dark Star Wars Galaxies at all, but it's it's wholly unique in the ways that again, not in the ways because not for the same reasons, but in the same vein as the way that, that star Wars galaxies was totally unique. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting that that just the gameplay loop itself is interesting. You know, like you mentioned earlier going on a gold run, which means you're just going out and farming some mobs, I assume. Yeah. Probably in a safer zone. Mm-hmm. But there's not really a lot of places or opportunities to go do that. Like, in a game like Dark Age or really any of them, the world is just populated with camps of mobs for you to go kill. Even if you're not questing or you just want to go grind, there's just stuff to go grind. Yeah. And that doesn't exist quite in the same way in Crowfall. I mean, yeah, there are mob camps, but they're a lot more spread out. And yeah, there's just not there's just not nearly that same opportunity. And there's wildlife and stuff like that too, but they don't drop gold, right? The only way to make gold is to kill, from what I've seen, at least humanoid enemies. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, you liter- literally have to put in the work to go out and farm gold for the sake of gold. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, I'm not getting any experience um, yet. I mean, once we do the vessels and get the higher levels, you know, you could be getting experience, I guess, but Mm -hmm. at level 30, um, you know, uh, going out to get the gold, it's, there's no experience to be had. There's no sweet drops to be had. It's, uh, just the money. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because, you kind of have one or two choices. I mean, you, you do the gold or you go out and gather materials of some sort to make something and sell. And that kind of um, has the same type of player-driven economy, kind of similar to galaxies where you're making your own stuff and uh, selling it in that way. Yeah, well, what's interesting, and, and this is not unique to Crowfall. Galaxies was that way, to your point. 
so I mean, I think even maybe the original EQ was the same way as far as the way the sales go. There's not a centralized auction house. Yeah. Eve Online doesn't have a centralized auction house. Albion Online doesn't have a centralized auction house. So again, the, the lack of a centralized market is not unique to Crowfall. But it I feel like it it seems more gated than it did even in something like Albion or Eve. In Albion or Eve, there's not a centralized marketplace, but there were places you can go that are the marketplace mm. where you can post your stuff. Yeah. And in this, I mean, everyone has access because everyone has an EK and you can put a vendor stall up, I guess. Yeah. But that's it. Like that, you have to have the vendor stall. You've got to have the vendor. And so it's a little less obvious on how to interact with the larger player marketplace, I guess. Yeah, you have to make uh, the marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, and it has to be done in a EK, like you said. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're not part of a larger Eternal Kingdom, then you're just using your own EK and you just have your one vendor, I guess. Mm -hmm. But then that kind of limits... I don't know how much attention that you're going to get. You know, if uh, someone is searching for the best deals, they're go probably going to go to bigger EKs first because there's more vendors. Mm -hmm. um, so if they enter your EK and you just have your one vendor selling uh, kebabs, <laughs> I don't know how, how many return customers you're going to get, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but that's the thing is that, you know, when I was thinking about, cause I've struggled frankly to, to have any sort of consistent money in Crowfall. And when I started talking to other players about how they've done it, that's what they all talked about was, you know, vendoring, or excuse me, having a vendor stall and selling to other players, not vendoring NPCs. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, yeah, that's super obvious. Right. Like that's that's how it works in all other MMOs. I mean, in World of Warcraft, the most on rails. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to have any sort of income, you're going to have to sell stuff on the auction house. It just makes sense to. Mm -hmm. And and so it's it on the one hand, it's a very common and, and obvious answer. But in Crowfall, I feel like, yeah, like I said, like it feels a little more gated. And then to your point, even outside of the way that you would have to begin to participate it's it's just harder for people to get to get customers <laughs> to your your shop yeah. unless you can be part of something larger where maybe people will stop by more often i mean i guess to some extent dark age was kind of similar with the uh, ha with the housing because that's when that's where the marketplace was there each person could have their own house and then on that house you could have a vendor and then people could buy from that it's so. definitely a lot harder to get into vendoring because you'll you need to build a stall i mean you have to have a building first to put the stall the vendor stall on mm -hmm. and then you got to buy the vendor and the vendor is 15k gold mm -hmm. 
And to have the vendor up and running, you have to pay upkeep fees as well as listing fees for everything that you put on the vendor. Mm. So those upkeep fees don't stop. I mean, if you want the vendor to be active, you have to constantly be pumping in the gold. So depending on what you sell, I mean, if you're not selling anything, then you're kind of just operating at a loss because Mm. you're constantly paying these upkeep fees. You've already put in the listing fees, your initial investment, Mm -hmm. and you're not selling anything, so you're really just taking a loss. So then it's like, well, do I need to just take everything down and work on my crafting, get better at that, maybe sell some better stuff? So in a way, it kind of incentivizes people to sell the best stuff, you know, not just to throw up level one stone or something, you know, because it's like, well, I'm not going to pay the listing fee for this, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, I don't know. It's really interesting in that way, I think. Well, it's also interesting because because there's not an easy way to search the marketplace, like in Camelot, yes, everyone had their own vendor that was at a house that was independent. However, there was still a centralized marketplace board that you could search to see what items were available and then go find them at a given house, right? Go to that vendor and buy it from there. In Eve online, while there are a lot of different marketplaces, you can go to a wide variety of space stations and and then search the market within a given region to see what at least regional prices are. Mm-hmm. But in Crowfall, uh, I could be selling stuff for five and you could be selling it down the street for 10. Yeah. And you might not, we might not know of that disparity in our prices and potentially people buying from us might not. Someone could go to you and see it for 10 and think, that's a pretty good deal. And someone could come from me and buy it from five and think that's the normal price. Or potentially they could come and see that I'm selling it for half of what it sells for somewhere else and then flip it. But mm-hmm. it just it just opens up a lot more opportunities like that for the market to not really provide the right price because it's harder to compare. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. The only way you would know prices would be I just go to a lot of trade marketplace EKs and have mm-hmm. priced a lot of things. Right. Um, and I don't know. It's with like, wow. And you have the marketplace where someone, you know, lists cloth for whatever price. And then someone comes through and just buys up all of the ones under so much gold. Mm-hmm. And then just repost it for more or what, whatever. Uh, that can't necessarily happen as easily. You know, it, uh, you have to travel around and and find everything, really, if you wanted to do that. Yeah. Um, I, I see what you mean. Like if someone tries to monopolize a particular item or something by buying it all up and then maintaining a higher than what should be minimum price. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that a person has to take a lot of risk to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I think that that's a bad thing for that to exist. 
because that person's taking on a ton of risk by buying up all that inventory and hoping that they can control the price because depending on what it is, it's probably unlikely that they can control whether or not more of those items come into the market. Yeah. So potentially they set themselves up to always having to be buying whatever's on the low end from, to me, I guess, from the buyer's perspective, because there's not that competition in prices, because people don't know what the prices are to compete, it just reduces the likelihood that you see prices fall for, for things on a consistent basis, because again who knows you know what i mean like in a in an economy like with with world of warcraft for example where there's an auction house if i'm selling something for 99 silver you can come in and put it up for 98 silver right and then the next mm -hmm. guy comes in and puts it for 97 and so on and so forth mm -hmm. which creates a natural decline of the price in conjunction with supply and demand and i mm -hmm. guess in this kind of environment it's just a lot easier for those things to get skewed because there's not as clear information on what the supplier demand is. Yeah, that's the, uh, I guess, the other side of it. You know, either the drop in price um, or the buying up of everything and keeping it at a higher price. Either way, it's harder to m manipulate it in that way because you would have to travel to all of the different marketplaces and mm -hmm. see all the vendors to even get an idea of of everything that's being priced out. Right, right. But yeah, the game is just, obviously we just focused on the economy now, but I mean, the progression being so tied to crafting, whether it be gathering or or creating, you know, actually crafting stuff, whatever side of that it's on, there's so much tied to that. And it's so interesting how, you know, they definitely incentivize specialization because there are so many things to grind. I mean, not only do you need orange versions of your logging discipline, but then you need an orange version of the logger belt. And then yep. that's true for every craft, every gather, everything. Right. So on the, there it's incentivized um, to, to cooperate with people over the long term. You probably could, obviously you could unlock legendary everything for yourself as far as crafting and gathering goes yeah but then you have mechanics like the foreman where it's just um it, it just basically requires two people you know what i mean like you you can't really do it with just one person and i just think it's so interesting how committed they are to making people play together and to be clear i don't mean that as a negative or a complaint but it's yeah. just, I feel like they do it maybe more than any other game I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, I feel like the focus on, on this game was from the economy uh, start of things. And you were talking about the specialization and kind of uh, urging people to specialize because the, the gold it takes to upgrade your crafting to orange legendary is a lot. Mm -hmm. And if you're spreading yourself out, I mean, one, it's going to take more time, but also it's going to take a ton more gold. Right. And I didn't realize exactly how important that was 
you know, as soon as I got three green runes of something I'm like, yeah, I would go blue. That's fine. And right. then you go blue if, on a few things. And, and then it's like, I don't have any money at all to do anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I did the same thing for me. I, I, I was like, oh, cool. I can make characters and level them to 25 instantly. Like, uh-huh. sweet. And I think I shared this last week. I have four now it's five actually characters that I've created. Well, I think by the fourth one, I finally had clicked what was happening. But for the first three, I bought, they all got their own crafting and gathering disciplines. They all got major and minor disciplines, all bought from the vendor. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. all of that money is just gone. And I'm not playing four characters at a time because you can't. You have <laughs> hands, the one computer, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. One self. Uh, we were, t- you know, uh, we were talking about trying to maybe uh, pull some meaning out of the economy here, and I would go really to say that, I mean, you have the the gold farming, which arguably could be a job type paycheck, or you're looking to get better at a certain craft, gathering materials to make something to sell. I mean, it really kind of feels like the most real life, I don't know, connection to an economy that I may have seen. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I would, I think, I mean, I think you're right that it is a, I mean, what it is is an entirely player driven economy, right? Like the, the very best stuff comes from players, not from raid bosses. Mm -hmm. So you, you're definitely right about that. But I think EVE Online is pretty similar and I think Albion Online is pretty similar with their economies where, I mean, in, in Albion Online, it's basically the same thing. Everyone's trying to to gather or craft something because that's how you equip yourself, which is true here. And again, is also true in EVE. Yeah. So I, I, I agree, though. And I think that I think in a true sandbox MMO, the economy is is essential because that's kind of what drives the whole thing. Right. Yeah. I, for example, in Dark Age of Camelot, we had three factions, and you had all the factions had castles to fight over, and and there's relics you could you could take that give very small bonuses to your whole faction if you if you capture the other team's relics. So there were things to play for and fight over, but the truth is is that after you've done that for so long, it just kind of loses its luster because. Nothing really changes if you have the keeps of the other people or not. And the relic bonuses are small enough that it's not like your gameplay changes if you have the relics or you don't. Yeah. So you either end up playing because you, you know, socially it's enjoyable or or, or that sort of thing, or you quit. And with, with the sandbox MMO, because it's tied to the economy, there's always an incentive to keep fighting because there's always there's always more personal gain in it for you if you win versus if I win a battleground in world of Warcraft or not, it doesn't really matter that much. You know what I mean? Like I could win battlegrounds all day long. Yeah. Nothing's really that different, especially once I've got the gear, but in a game like Crowfall, I mean, even if you had 10 sets of gear, they're eventually going to break. <laughs> You're yeah. going to need the economy again. It's inescapable. Right, right. Uh, 
we were talking in the alliance about what campaign in would come next and well i was of course i'm waiting on my new computer so i'm not too focused on jumping into pvp right away and i was like well i mean to sustain any of it we kind of just have to have economy so that's where i've kind of uh, pivoted towards building up the ek and uh, doing more economy type stuff you know uh, since i the pvp and uh, computer is not matching up but Mm-hmm. We'll come back to it because we have the campaigns, so there's going to be new campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, don't have to make every campaign. <laughs> yeah, well, it, yeah, no, the, yeah, the campaign, the campaign design, as I've gone on about previously. I, I mean, it's it's what it's what got me to pre-order Crowfall, right? Like that's why it was yeah. on my radar. Is I love the campaign idea and. I'm really interested to see what rules change, you know, coming out of it. Um, but, or c- going into new campaigns, I guess you should say. I- I'm interested to see what rule sets they they apply to the different campaigns. But Yeah, the fact that way, you could go hardcore in, in a campaign and take a break and focus on the economy side of things for a couple weeks and then come back to a cam another campaign fresh is just uh it's awesome. Yeah, well and I love the lack of I I love limiting the amount of stuff that you can import because even if you're one of the top guilds right now that's winning the dregs and getting all the rewards and maybe you're just filthy rich, you can still only bring your character and however many, you know, import tokens worth of stuff it allows and that's it. And so even though the really big guilds are building a longer term advantage by winning the campaigns and their constant output. Mm-hmm. They are able to amass some stuff on one hand. On the other hand, the value of that is diminished by the fact that they can't just bring whatever they want into a new campaign. You yeah. Know? Yeah. They have to go get it again. Now, of course, if they all have legendary gathering, they're going to be able to get a head start in a new campaign quicker than a guild that doesn't have that same loadout. Yeah. But still it, it's, it's more of an even playing field than anywhere else where yeah. it just doesn't happen. So my goal for the next campaign to join would be to have a more complete loadout for the import tokens, the stuff that we bring in the last few that I've joined has just been, well, whatever I have, let's get in there. Right. Yeah. Right. So a couple of changes that we wanted to discuss. You uh, had mentioned there's been a change to the way that chests work. Oh, yeah. The uh, materials it takes to build chests have changed. I'm a stonemason, so I've been building a lot of stuff for EK. But uh, I was a little disappointed to see that the um, chests are now more expensive based on the permission of the chest. Mm. So those that don't know, um, you have to make a chest for each permission. So if you want 
a vassal chest, you got to make one. If you want a noble chest, you got to make a different one. They've added um, an all guild member chest. You got to make that one if you want that one. Personal chest. They're all separate. And an all guild member chest is the most expensive one right now. Which was a little disappointing because... I mean, I, I wanted to make one, but, you know, with us being in a smaller guild, anyone that's participating, I've already promoted to Vassal. Um, so they could take advantage of the EK and build stuff, place vendors, and giving, you know, giving them the Vassal permission. So to really make, like, an all-guild member chest it doesn't really make sense to us and it's more expensive anyway. So it's like, well, we can just make vassal ones, but I don't know. I, I kind of like the idea of having just one chest and being able to set permissions on an interface or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I guess with uh, material sinks and stuff, maybe it needs to happen this way. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the... I mean, obviously, I have no idea what the needs for material sinks are, but that would be my guess, is that they feel like it's advantageous for the economy at large to have more materials going away to things like that. Yeah, I, I, I just have trouble making sense of it because the chests are not different in, in any way other than who can access it. Mm -hmm. They're not bigger. They don't look different. They're... Right. I don't know. Yeah, maybe over time we'll see that, at least maybe an aesthetic difference, if not a storage size difference. I mean, it would make more sense that the the higher level, the tier of rank, maybe the lower the amount of storage space, because arguably it's a smaller group of people that need access to it, whereas the all-guild member chest maybe should be the largest one, because that's going to be the one that most people have access to. Yeah, that's uh, a possibility, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? I, I, I Certainly with the aesthetic, I wouldn't be surprised to see a change. I was definitely, you know, last week we talked about the, with the, the first major patch that they had come out with or update, that there were some animation changes and just some art changes and things like that. And I definitely have noticed some of those. I mean, on my Druid, what used to be kind of a little for lack of a better way to describe it, like almost like a little ball of like green electricity is now like a little orb with a little thing inside of it. Like it looks a lot more, I don't know, just a lot nicer than it did mm. before. So yeah. I, I would, I would, I would be surprised if they don't at least add an aesthetic difference to the chests since they're mm. different purposes, but yeah, time will tell. Well, I would hope that the more expensive ones would be bigger. Um, I guess I haven't made an all guild member chest. Maybe it is bigger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I could at, be, yeah, I could be completely wrong. You're know. just looking at price tags and just mad about it, huh? <laughs> well, I I had set out to um, uh, farm a bunch of materials to make more chests, only to get there and go, oh, they're all changed. I don't really, I can't make sense of this right now. And then right. so that's where I was at. <laughs> that's, that's fair. So then 
finally, the last thing I wanted to touch on, and certainly I don't mean uh, it's too complicated for me to try and read through all of it on the pod here or, or go point by point through it. Um, on the forums, though, there is, and I'll put the link in the show notes for anyone that hasn't seen it, but there's an interesting development that they share, which is that right now there's a limit on how many players can be in a given zone, which is 250. Uh-huh. So that's a technical limitation so that people who have computers that can't run it very well can still run it, right? I don't know. It's a performance limitation is why there's a a limit on how many people can be in the zone. Right. So then what's happening as a social development out of that is that the, because people know when their siege timers are, Mm -hmm. now guilds are trying to fill up servers ahead of their siege window so that they can't possibly be overrun because they've got all the spots reserved or whatever. Yeah. Which I, I get it. It makes sense. The game is trying to get points so that you can ultimately get a reward. And mm-hmm. the way to do that is to have the keep. And the only time you can lose the keep is in that little one hour window. So mm-hmm. I get, I get why that would come out of it. It does suck because it's not playing the game, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And kind of as we talked about, like, the thing in Crowfall that's so, again, that's so interesting is, like, there's plenty of crafting and gathering and all that to do, but all of it's in service to PvP. There is no cool PvE content. There's nothing. There's no world bosses to go pull and fight. There's no dragon that you can get your guild together and go slay, like everything is for fighting. So even winning a campaign is really to get you bonus resources to go fight in another campaign, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. not, not just to hoard the resources to, to do nothing with, cause there's literally nothing else to do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the art craft team has proposed a solution to this in which basically they would have, signups for what guilds are participating in a siege and then limit how many players from each guild can be in a given zone at the time of the siege. Um, I think I, I think the split was like 45% defenders, 55% attackers. Um, I don't know what I think about that. It's interesting. It is. And I think it's trying to find a solution um, because it needs a solution. But Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure that this is the best solution. Yeah, I I don't have a better idea. So I feel bad to say this is not going to work because I don't know what the answer is instead. I mean, obviously, the easy answer is we'll increase the zone cap and then it doesn't matter. But that's not a choice, at least currently, either. But um, I don't. I don't know. It was it was something that came up in my first experience in the Dregs mm. because our guild shows up. Uh, we had maybe two groups and got rolled by huge Zergs that were all in the same guild, but they were fielding. I don't know. 50 people i mean Mm -hmm. huge blobs and someone had mentioned the population cap and if 
you know, uh, 50 people in one guild are in a zone, that is a large chunk of the power mm-hmm. uh, centralized on one faction or one guild. So it makes it hard for somebody else to fight that if they're mm-hmm. locked out of it. And the only thing I could think of at the time was was that if the dregs are going to be this guild versus guild, every best guild for themselves, then it would almost be like they have to field a specific team, whatever that number is. Um, before the campaign starts, you submit your roster, that's your team. Mm. And if they don't show up, well, that's your own fault. You had them on the roster. That was your team. Yeah. Um, so then at least every guild would have the same amount of people, per se. I don't know what that number would be, you know, or mm-hmm. how many groups. But it would at least put everyone on a, a man playing field, you know, a player, even player playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Um, it's it's a, a lot of different ways it could go, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, kind of like we talked about last week, I, I definitely appreciate them trying to to solve the problem and not just letting it fester. Yeah, I think that it's a, I don't know, it, it's definitely a strategy what they're what they're looking to implement. And to be clear, we have not in any way done justice to all of the nuance of it. There's because people are probably thinking like, oh, well, what about this exploit or what about this way to manipulate it? I, I definitely, like I said, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes. Definitely invite you to go look at the forum post if you haven't, because it's pretty long and yeah. they go through a lot of different caveats and nuances to it. Um, but at a high level, basically what it's about is how do we make it when there's only so many seats available in a given server or in a given campaign, how do we make it so that it's, it's a, a, a fair isn't even the right word I mean, it is somewhat about fairness, but as the poster, you know, as the the art craft post says, there's really not a way where anyone's happy because even if you just didn't do anything and let any big guild that could, if they could just lock up all 250 spots, then, then, Hey, they did it. Yeah. Even that isn't a win because like I was saying a few moments ago, the point of the game is to fight with each other. So Right. If you can create scenarios where you never fight, even if it seems sweet because you're gaming the system and getting resources, people will quit because <laughs> the game is yeah. not fun if you're not fighting. Um, it's so, yeah. um, There's a really tough balance to try and get because even, even with the siege timers, um, in a way I like it because I know... I can plan my day around, you know, we have a keep defense in two Mm -hmm. hours or something, so I'm going to log on. But at the same time, it it eliminates the possibility of setting up a siege at a different time. Mm -hmm. I can't just show up at at a keep and treb down a wall... And then five hours later, we're going to use that hole to take the keep. Right. right? 
or knock down the bell tower and cut the points for the whole day. I would like to see, even though the timer may be there, I kind of feel like buildings should be destructible at any time. When we lost the bell tower due to the upgrade, I actually just assumed that someone had trebbed it down. Mm. I didn't I didn't know you couldn't destroy something when the timer wasn't going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was perfectly fine with that. I, I was like, well, someone had a plan and we're trying to cut our points. That's fine. I don't know. It just lends itself to more things happening. And I think if more things can happen outside of the timer, then it could potentially spread out the population also because people will be doing different things more so in different areas. Yeah, but I think that's kind of the point of the, of the timers is to create known hotspots and to create known places where you can go find a fight or, or, yeah. or where there could be a fight. Because what's not fun is is if everyone's spread out and you really do have 100 people that would be willing to fight, but they don't know where each other are. And so now they're spread out all over the place and now there's not any action anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's why I was saying the timer, I like the timer because, to your point, it allows known fights to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I like the idea of being able to set up sieges before the timer in a certain way, potentially trebbing down some walls Yeah, or something, I don't know. I, it'd be also interesting, you know, and maybe this speaks to like your idea for rosters and that maybe that would be a way to get around trying to manage multiple guilds or something. But, you know, maybe another solution that we'll see in the future is you can, your guild can only have 10 people in it and you can only be allied with five guilds. Mm -hmm. So, or four other guilds, the most you could have is 50, right? Yeah. So then it just kind of naturally limits it. Uh, again, the, the, there's always trade-offs, right? Whenever you get into limiting player choice, I mean, even back to the faction versus faction, can people change factions, even independent mm-hmm. of the dregs and this guild stuff we're talking about? Yeah. Limiting player choice always has a downside as well. Um, so I don't know. On the one hand, I get it. On the other hand... So on the one hand, I get why timers and hotspots and all that is great mm-hmm. but i also see your point that it it gives it more of a sense of adventure to some extent if you can kind of go and create a scenario out of nothing yeah by a, sieging a treb in a, a place that's not heavily defended right now right but what you don't want to create is a is a game where people never fight each other and instead i'm going to go siege your keep and then you're going to go siege mine across the map and it makes more sense for us to just take a keep than it does to try and defend our own keeps already, right? Yeah, yeah. There would have to be uh, a balance in the point structure. So yeah. potentially it's more beneficial to maybe defend right, and save those points. Right. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I like your, you know, I like your idea of having the limit on the guild members with the five guild alliance, maybe you're at 50. 
then if you're defending a keep, you have 50, an attacker would have 50. That's well below the population cap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, that could work. The other thing that I don't like about the, the, the siege, the, the proposed changes that they're talking about with, you know, making it so, I think they call it a handshake siege where it's like you're, you know, everyone's agreeing that we're going to siege at a certain time and here's how many people from each side can be there kind of thing. Yeah. Well, what if I'm not in either of the guilds that are defending or attacking the keep, but I wanted to go to that zone to farm. Like yeah. now I, now I can't cause I'm not a part of one of those two things. Uh-huh. So that's also strange. Or what if I'm a rogue and I want to go and try and pick off stragglers that are running back to the fight <laughs> and I'm not actually tied to either of those groups, right? Exactly. Nor am I involved in the in the keep siege, but I want to pick off people who are trying to run back. Like yeah. it eliminates those those kinds of things too. Um, which again, I don't I don't know what the solution is. I definitely think that they need to try something because I think that it existing as it does now doesn't make sense with people locking each other out like that. Right. So I don't know what the answer is. And I don't, like you said at the very beginning, I don't know that this is the answer, but at least it's an attempt at getting there. So. Yeah. We just have to try different things and know that it will probably change again in the future. Um, I just hope that they're, you know, uh, willing to listen to feedback and, continue to evolve whatever that decision is or solution to this is well that's all for the show today follow us on twitter and minds at crowfall pod you can also check out my other podcast the walk show which explores the walk of life through interviews with a variety of guests or pick up your sticks which is co-hosted by me and brett lindley and is all about why gaming matters